Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, Willkommen, willkommen. To the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Um, wie geht's? Wie geht's gut? That's all my German for you there, guys. That was, hello, how are you in German? Uh, my name is Tom Green. Welcome to another edition, another episode of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. A tour of the best and worst takeaways delivering to us tonight. And um, hello to all the new people that have joined us this week. We've had a load of new subscribers. Um, a lot of people found us through the new Hope Club episode. So hello. We're on the uh, we're on the front page of Apple for a week this week, thanks to Chris Mears, our Olympian guest, that you can scroll down and find him. He was an amazing episode a few weeks ago. Olympic gold medal diving sensation, Chris Mears. Um, the first episode what we've done that I've nearly cried in because his story really got me. Um, anyway, here we are. Another week. How are you? Are you all good? Everything okay in your life? You'll be glad to know we are no longer a COVID household. We have shooed the naughty COVID out the front door. And in a remarkable turn of events, even though I slept in a bed for a while with someone who had COVID, COVID didn't get me. I'm immune. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. Um, me and Em were in the same house together, which when she was her uh, most sort of um, infectious, she, we slept in the same bed, and I didn't get it, which is crazy. So we've got a uh, COVID survivors here, guys. So the podcast will keep on rolling. Um, this week, we are joined by, I'll be honest, the first guest we've had while I have been starstruck and a little bit nervous about, because we were joined by... A legend. If you are a Line of Duty fan, you will know exactly who this guy is. He played DCI Dot Cotton in Line of Duty. He's also been in so many amazing films. He was in Bandersnatch, that amazing uh, film that came out a few uh, Christmases ago. He was in that. Who directed that? Oh, I'm going to have a look. Charlie Brooker, wasn't it? That was it. Charlie Brooker, I don't think directed it, wrote it and stuff. So he was in that. He's also played the Cray Twins. This guy is the best of the best when it comes to British actors. And we have got him on the show this week. It's the one, the only. It's Craig Parkinson. The Dangerous Dinners Podcast with your host, Tom Green. One celebrity guest, one spin of the roulette wheel, and a tour of the best and worst takeaways, which are delivering to us tonight. What will it land on? We let fate decide. Upper grabs today, we have the poorly reviewed Kansas Fried Chicken, everybody's favorite, Lahore Karahi, and if it all goes wrong, Pizza Palace. But before we do that, it's time to meet our celebrity guest. They're famous, they're funny, and they just arrived downstairs. It's time to bring them up. Please welcome... 
It's Craig Parkinson. Tom, how are you? I'm good, man. And we're here in person. This has been, I think, the longest in the making podcast episode we've had this series. Really? Yeah, man. Uh, How come? Just because you were really busy with Line of Duty when that... Because I think that's when I first contacted you was just before the last series went out. Mm. And then you had all the podcast stuff Uh and I got quite busy with work. And then we finally put a date in (laughs) and it ended up being like three months, four months after I first contacted you. So I've been building up to this. Good. Well, look... I'm, I'm expecting big things from you. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> it's on you. Because you, you just, the first thing I said, you said to me as I walked in is you'd heard our last episode, mm. which was Chris Mears. This morning, yeah. And you enjoyed it. Very much so. But I'd edited all my badness out. <laughs> Look, we all edit the badness out. It's just a shame we can't edit the badness out of life. Mm. But that's the joy of podcasting. That is the joy. Thank you for having me in your lovely home. You're very well. Look, it's not. I, I was recording. I said. I said to you before. I was recording uh, a podcast episode of my own this afternoon. Sure. And towards the end, we both said, oh, "Wouldn't it be great if we both sat face to face around the dining room table and yeah. we just talk together?" Because I'm just, I'm just so over the remote stuff. If I'm honest, how do you find it? I'm sad to say that I'm used to it. And I wasn't at first. I was living somewhere else, um, not in Manchester, when we picked it back up and started doing the remote things. And there was a few that I recorded for my podcast. Um, and I scrapped them. I didn't put them out. Wow. I didn't enjoy them. I found them almost alien. I didn't like talking to someone down a computer screen. I'm so, I was so used to... You know, as we're doing now, yeah. looking into each other, having a conversation, looking into each other, looking into each other's eyes. We're looking into each other. <laughs> looking listeners. into each other. Into your soul. But yeah, I just didn't like it. I-, I didn't feel I could do my job well at all. I didn't feel the people were coming across in the way that they should do. So I was like, I'm not going to put them out. Yeah. But then slowly I got used to it, but I don't want to get used to it. No, I agree with you. We came up with this podcast in lockdown. Mm. And as things started to ease, because we have partnered with Acast. We were like, we'll we'll start putting this out. We did one episode in person, Ella Rare, the first episode that ever went out over at her house. Yeah. And then we went straight back into lockdown. And I thought about canning it. I thought about going, there isn't this idea we have to be together. We have to eat together. The whole idea was I went round to my mate's house and got pissed. That was the whole concept right. at the start, right? And then we were forced to do it over over the internet. So it took me so long to get used to doing it, right? Mm. And then we did it all just vocal. And I got to a point where I actually quite liked it because I'd sit in my spare room, drink cans of cider and chat to people. Were you not seeing them? No. Nope. Not... No? And it was really nice. I used to just have my chill clothes on. I'd have a few drinks and chat. And then we started doing visuals. When you say chill clothes, do you mean like a tracksuit? Yeah, even right. more chill than that. I have like baggy shorts and a vest. Okay. Yeah. Holiday, holiday vibe. Holiday mode. Okay. Yeah. And I would, I loved it. I loved it, man. I felt like it was weirdly intimate because you were just sort of, you just trying. And then we started doing visuals for social media and I, I hated it. You had to sit there and look proper and look down the, I really didn't like it. So I'd sort of got used to just having this sound thing. So now to come into person again, it's a whole weird thing. Yeah, you see, from your angle, you've got to completely retrain yourself mm-hmm. to do these things in person. Yeah. And then... Oh my God, food's coming. I know. You're gonna, we're gonna eat. 
going to eat together. Oh my God. I'm, I'm not sure about that. It's going to be weird. <laughs> it's weird intimate. What's so funny as well is, Craig, you're one of the few guests we've had on this show that I've not met before, mm-hmm. that I've had no relationship with. No. Other than I, we contacted each other online and we sorted it out, right? Yeah. So just as I turned up, my girlfriend messaged me just going, let me know he's not a killer. It's like, he's, he's from the telly. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> we never, it's never happened because of lockdown. She would have got used to this, but this is the first time she's had to... Do you know what? How lovely that your girlfriend cares so much that you're not going to get killed. Yeah, she's a little bit too much times, but um, it's, it is nice. Because this is the first time I've seen you sort of post TV as well. It does feel weird because I normally interview music people and mm. I've interviewed a lot of film stars. It's rare that I see someone on TV, I go, I want them on the show. And then I'm sitting in front of the TV person. So it is an honour. I mean, I'll just get my fan out and just sort of... Because <laughs> I just get red when people say things like that. But no, look, it's lovely. You know I listen to the podcast and you know how much I love food. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how much I'm going to love the food we're going to have tonight. Yeah. But uh, still, it's... Uh, it's a joy to have you in my house. It's called Dangerous Dinners for a reason. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. wheel, what's also hilarious is that you were shocked we actually had a wheel. Yes! You like, I thought this was just a sound effect. <laughs> Hell mean, no. That's the thing with podcasts. I mean, I'm to the left of me now, everybody listening, is a multicolored wheel <laughs> with lots of um, different types of food. Oh, no, I'm going to spin it at some point this evening. And find out what's for dinner. Yeah, then my scrawlings are starting to get a little bit rubbed off. This is the thing with the the showbiz life as well. And being from a TV world, you'll know this better than most. But there's this shiny exterior that people really buy into. And then when you really get down to it, it's just a man knocking on another man's door with a wheel in his hand and a bag of wires. Oh my God, that is the new Richard Curtis film. Thank you. That is the most beautiful... I think this is going to be an evening of romance. Yes. Tom, I'm... I'm, I'm do you know what? I'm in already. I've signed up for it. Just a man <laughs> with a wheel looking at a man with some wires. Um, should we find out what we're having for dinner this evening? Oh my God, I'm terrified if I'm honest. So, next to you is... A roulette wheel yeah. of some good food, some bad food. Okay. Um, it's a mixed, it's a mixed wheel. Right. Do you want to give it a spin? Absolutely. Three, two, one. Spin the wheel. <laughs> oh, you've got off lightly there. What is it? Pizza. Oh. You've got off so lightly. Right. Now there are many. Great pizza establishments in Manchester. Mm-hmm. One of them is my favourite. I think I know what it probably is. Maybe if you live around here. Uh, yeah, but it's actually not just here. There's got they've. It's just down the road from me. So it's not a Rudy's. It, it's very good Rudy's, but no, my favourite pizza in Manchester is Crazy Pedro's. Oh, a superb pizza. Yeah. Should I try and get that for us? I think we should get Crazy Pedro's. Okay, let's have a look. Crazy Pedro's, does it? Crazy Pedro's also, this is such a Manchester thing. It's the only pizza restaurant I've ever been to where you could also have a full night out. Yeah, I get very scared. I took, sometimes my son says, it's Friday night, I would love pizza. And there was a time when they weren't delivering. Right. So I would have to walk down into the Northern Quarter at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night 
And this was when everything was starting to open up and it was like walking down Magaluf. <laughs> <laughs> like 10 30 night with a 10 year old boy and it was nuts there was yeah. girls with their mascara crying down their cheeks yeah lads 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 and it was like i just want a pizza and go back home with my 10 year old boy and what pizzas they have for you here oh my god i've had I've, i have had this one i'm not going to get this tonight but the fried chicken and waffle pizza have you ever had that no it sounds disgusting <laughs> i've had it um craig what do you want what's the order i mean for me, you can't go wrong. You have to stick with classic pepperoni. Okay. Pedro's pepperoni. Boom. I got you. I'm going to... I have to edit the name out of this because it's probably not politically correct. I'm going to get the... Which is pepperoni, jerk chicken, cheese, onion, olives, jalapenos. Oh, my good oh, Lord. This is so exciting. This is the most amount of money I've ever spent on a podcast guest. It's £34. <sighs> I've never spent that much before. Well, there you go. Food's ordered. Two pizzas, one pepperoni, one hot one. There we go. So I want to start with how I know you. Okay. Which is um, Line of Duty. Right. So you were in series one, two, and three as DCI Doc Cotton. Yeah. This show started, I think I'm right in saying, during the Olympics, right? In 2012. Uh, Not being a sporty person. I don't know. I just know it started midweek on BBC Two at nine o'clock. Did you have any idea then that it was going to go on to be what it was? No, not at all. I mean, we just knew it was a very selective, independent cast. A lot of us have come from independent films, certainly yeah. like myself and Martin and Vicky. Lenny was quite, a, you know an independent actor. He wasn't a mainstream actor. Then you've got Gina McKee, who was also very independent. And then you've got somebody who wasn't independent at all, who was very mainstream, and that's Neil Morrissey. And Neil, Mo- like, Neil Morrissey played... <laughs> Neil Morrissey played uh, Nigel Morton. Nigel Morton. Who was that? You've got to remind me of he that He was kind of... In season one, we were part of Lenny's crew. Uh, so there was myself, Lenny, and Neil... And we were... And exactly who you mean. Bit of a horrible big boys club. We were called in the show um, the Big Sexy Crime Unit. Yeah, I mean, it was just like... It was proper lads, dads, lads. Yeah. It was exactly the opposite of what we all are in, in real life. But it was a lot of fun to play. Do you think the show's changed your life? Yeah, I would... Yeah, I mean, there's no... There's no getting around it. Yeah, it's completely changed everything. Yeah. Um... For the better, because Jed's scripts are completely full and excellent. It's changed everything, but also it's spoiled everything as well, because mm. you read other things and you go, yeah, it's not as good as it. That's not that. But you just have to go, well, that was that period of time. Yeah. For, for everybody, you know, I'm going on to do another detective series vicky's doing something about bomb disposal units mm. um Aidy's doing something that's involved with the police but you just go well everything changes yeah my, my worry is right with, mm. with with art and with entertainment mm-hmm. that there's loads of good stuff out there that no one cares about yeah or do you believe it was so good it was always going to work i believe with that specific show i believe that it was I never read anything like it. 
Um, so whether it was going to touch everyone or touch a small sort of niche audience, because when someone says it's going to go out on BBC Two and it's going to be midweek, it's going to be nine o'clock, right, okay, well, you'd have to look at other incredible sort of auteurs that have put shows out. So you look at Stephen Polyakov, you look at Hugo Blick, over the years who have put out incredible things that critically uh, lights a huge fire but doesn't get a massive fan base or certainly doesn't get a huge audience figure with regards to what the BBC would think. Um, But you can't think about that. You you shouldn't think about that. If you think about what it's going to do, then you're kind of in the wrong job. You need to just think about the character and the cast and what you're doing and focus on that. Yeah. And when did it start really heating up? Season two, without a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. When it made, like, page three in The Telegraph or The Guardian or something like that, we just went, oh, my God, people are really starting to enjoy this and and watch it. And these were a lot of people who hadn't even seen season one. They were joining at season two, and then they were going back to season one. And still now, I remember during lockdown one, I was going for a walk around here in a park with a friend, and a couple came up to me with their baby and went, oh, my God, we've just absolutely rinsed (laughs) everything from season one, and we've never seen it before. And So people, it's one of those shows that... People find it at the right time or when they need to. And, mm. yeah, it's, that, it's testament to Jed's writing, full stop, you know? I watched it a year and a half ago. Right. So I joined in, like, series four. Mm. What was the last series? Five, six? Uh, six was the last series. So yeah. I joined in series five. Right. Because that was the first time I'd ever seen it. On With TV. Stevie, Stevie Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. What an actor. Oh, he's just the best. Saying that. The scene, your scene, right, I think was where the whole show changed, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Your scene where you break out of the interview room. Yeah. Which is probably your last episode, I guess. Um, Yeah, I mean, I came back in season four to do some reshoots. Yes. Yeah. That, where you break out of the interview room, I think for me is where the whole series changed. It goes from not sleepy... But there wasn't a lot of in-your-face action, in my no. opinion, for those first few series. No. And I remember sitting there. I remember the exact moment I was. And I rarely have this. I have this with like Breaking Bad, a few episodes in Breaking Bad and shows like that. But I remember exactly where I was with my girlfriend. And we were both like, what the f***? <laughs> this is so sick. I actually, confession, rewatched that scene today. Right. Just so I could remember how much I enjoyed it. And you text and you get broken out. and the Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, it did. I remember... When, because we didn't get that episode for quite a long time. And there was, I remember myself and AD and Vicky and Martin were sat down in somebody's apartment, some possibly mine, maybe I was cooking. Everybody used to take turns in cooking, mainly me and AD, Martin can't cook. Right. Um, there was sort of odds on, well, who was going to get off because someone, someone was going. And we genuinely didn't know who it was going to be. And there was a time... I found out after there was a possibility it was going to be Martin, that Martin was going to going to go. Wow. Um, and then before the script came to me, I got a call from Jed. You get the call from Jed. 
and then he pulled me aside and then we had a little chat and he went so this is what I'm thinking and he told me everything and I went well that sounds fucking incredible yeah. that sound if you're going to go that sounds the way to go and I think had he had gone on any longer we would have been hoodwinking the audience a mm. bit you know it is slightly fantastical at times, the show, but it is steeped in reality and those big, long 30-minute interview scenes yeah. in the glass box when people are talking, you know, that's what it's known for. It's not about action. It's about words. It's about character. Um, and I think if he'd evaded capture once more after all this time, when the audience know that he was the one from the end of series one. Yeah. That's too much. That's too much. We, we, we would have we would have been taking the piss out of the audience, and I don't think that that's never what Jed wanted to do. Right. You know, so it, it was the not only the perfect exit, but the perfect time, and I really believe that. Were you sad to go, though? I don't think so. I mean, look, of course, a little bit sad. Yeah. Because not only are these friends and sort of become family that I've worked with but I've done three or four films with Martin before Line of Duty so he's one of my best friends in real life Vicky become one of my best friends in real life and you know Aidy's become our father <laughs> and <laughs> and you know we had cool a father, by very the way. cool dad do you imagine you know yeah. if you got to pick a dad it's oh. Eddie Dunbar isn't it and also you know all our crew were there from a lot of a lot of those were there from season two because we moved from Birmingham to Belfast in in shooting, um, so everybody became a massive family. So to go, yeah, a little bit sad, but in my heart of hearts and as like as an actor, I knew it was the right time to go. The when it came, when it really sort of hit home, I suppose, was when I started watching season four on telly and I went oh what why is everybody in the office and I'm not there and I found that I did find that a little bit odd so I I, I stopped watching for a while because you just have to just take a step back yeah because there's all your friends and best friends in real life sort of on the the telly playing (laughs) and you're not there there must be a joy though to have it taken from work and then you can almost become a fan from that point when you're not involved so heavily. Yeah. There's I a mean, way of you can watch that now. Well, there is, but it, it, as I say, it did. It took some time. And I think it took until season five to sort of become a fan again. I found season four very difficult to watch. Because you weren't in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then... You know, we've got another mate. So Stevie Graham's coming in. Yeah. He's got great and Roshanda Sandell's in it and she's amazing. And then with season six, I was like all in yeah. because I had to, I got asked to host a podcast about it um, and it seemed the right time. So I was watching it with two hats as a, a sort of podcaster and an interviewer and a fan. And Kelly's there, Perry Fitzpatrick's there, who's another mate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun, season six, I must admit. And the audience reaction was, so good. and I was just stirring the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Before I come on to that, I want to ask you a complete side point, but this is sort of why I love this podcast, is you can do that. 
Have you seen the Stephen Graham show in the jail, the one that's set in the jail? I had to turn it off. It is one of the hardest things mm. I've watched in... It, for one point, it's the best thing that I've seen in a very, very long yeah. time. But it's it's a hard watch, isn't it? It was too hard watch for me. And I've, I love Sean Bean. Yeah. I grew up on Jim McGovern's work. Um, and Stevie is, you know, one of my favourite actors and a beautiful human being. I just didn't need any more sadness. Yeah, my, get, you know, yeah. after after do you know what? After the eighteen months or whatever we've all had, I just found it too much. Mm. And my focus is terrible. Anyway, I don't watch loads of telling. Anyway. I love to sit down and read, or if I'm pottering or I'm cleaning, then I'll stick on music or a podcast. But yeah, I, kudos to him. Yeah. I must admit. But yeah, n- not for me. I'd love to go back to it when I'm feeling a bit stronger. Yeah. It gets easier. The first It can't get any of, harder. Oh my god. The first half of that first episode where one of the cellmates clearly has a mental illness and is really struggling with that. Yeah. And you watch that play out. And that was that's as hard as that show gets. After that it does ease off. But it is it's a difficult watch. It is. Um before we move on from Line of Duty, I just want to ask how hard was it when the last series was going out not to talk about it? Because when I was researching this, as I do for all the shows. A lot of YouTube videos was you not giving anything away yeah. about the final series. Mm-hmm. How hard was it to say nothing? Um, easy, if I'm honest, because we'd been, <laughs> say brainwashed, no, trained to never talk about the secrets of the show Yeah, from from day one, you know? So, and we're such a tight little family. It was It was super easy not to talk about it. But whenever you're doing interviews about the show, it's all they want. I know. It's all they want. I know. And the great thing is, because of a lot of them ask very sort of base, stupid questions, you just get around it really easy. Because <laughs> you just give out the same answer. So it was it was actually really, really super easy. Oh, I feel like I'm part of that press evil. No, so you're not. No, not at all. I hope my questions aren't baseless and boring. No, Good. they're great. We're having a lovely conversation. Having a lovely time, guys. Um, food. Yes. Is a big part of your life, right? Massive. Your Instagram is full of food photos and you cooking and you eating out. Are you a foodie because you cook or are you a foodie because you eat out? Um, how did it start? Probably th- because I cook. I like to relax and I can't relax by just sit, plunking myself on the sofa and watching something. Mm. I like to relax by reading but I really relax by turning off my phone and cooking in the kitchen. So, and I've always done it, but during the first lockdown, I would source and seek out long, complicated recipes. (laughs) So I knew that I was in the kitchen for like two or three hours of prep, you know, so I was, I found a recipe that involved peeling, chopping, melting <laughs> 40 cloves of garlic with this this chicken recipe. Wow. And it was delicious. And I just thought, well, that, well, that's good. That's three hours of my life. So that's good. <laughs> you know, and it was fantastic and it was great. Yeah. Like this afternoon, I've just made uh, like Japanese gyoza from scratch because, well, why not? I had 
a couple of hours free. So I just thought I'd just do that. And I, I, I you know, now I don't have that luxury to have a couple of hours free. So when I do, then I'm going to sit down and read or I'm going to, if, I, if I'm not doing my work, if I'm not filming or I'm not podcasting, then I'm going to read a book or I'm going to be in the kitchen. So mm. turns out they're in the fridge. I, I can't eat them right now because <laughs> we're going to have pizzas. I'm going to go in the freezer, aren't they? So How do you find the balance of work and then not work? Or are you in a really cool cycle now where you're always working? No. No one's in a cool cycle when they're always working. So you do have the Yeah, of weeks, course. Months? Of- I think one of the reasons why I started my podcast was that I wasn't um I wasn't happy with the quality of scripts that I was being sent or the auditions that I was being asked to meet for. And I think I've because I've been doing this quite a long time. And I've been involved with projects that I've done because I was young or I was naive or I needed the money. Mm. And now you go, well, no, you just need to be in projects that you believe in. And if you don't believe in things, then I would sooner be happy and not do it instead of being involved with something for the wrong reasons and be unhappy because... Maybe everybody else on that set's really happy. So if you're going to go on and bring bad energy, then you shouldn't be on that set because there's nothing worse than someone being moody or bringing bad karma to a set because a set should be a, a very nice, calm place yeah. that, that, that where you know all where problems are solved because there's always problems on set and that's the job of everybody else to to solve these problems. Mm. I want to pick that up. So you did the podcast and that can keep you busy and keep yeah. the money rolling in. Even. No, it's not. See, the thing is, it was all about creativity. Yeah. It was never a financial thing at first. I just wanted to... But now you're a podcast millionaire, so... Um, well, yeah. <laughs> you would think that, wouldn't you? Spin the wheel. Um, no, I started it because I thought if I can't do what my job is, which is to be an actor then I need to be creative in some other way. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts sort of five years ago, especially long-form interview podcasts, especially from the UK, not necessarily from the US because they were way, way ahead of us. Um, And I didn't like what they were doing. I didn't like how the hosts were being. I didn't like how they didn't turn it around on their guests. They tend to turn it back on themselves. And I thought that was kind of rude and narcissistic Mm. in a way and a lot of actors myself included have done uh, broadsheet interviews not just broadsheet interviews full stop and they get spliced up and it's not how you're intended to come across so I thought if I'm going to start off by interviewing actors then it should be from the horse's mouth so to speak but if we if I give someone the full editorial control then there's a nice balance and we can get a measure of who this person is Mm. and not talk about their work and talk about the human being and the human aspect. And hopefully then that'll come across to everybody and not just people who are interested in acting. And then it's slowly sort of morphed and, and, you know, it's, it's changed and now interview lots and lots of different creatives over the years. Your podcast, which we'll come on to later, is a very relaxing listen. Oh, I came, yeah, I came away from listening to it going, 
I really should be more relaxed. And I felt annoyed that I had so much energy on mine. I was like, Tom, you're so annoying. (laughs) Craig's so cool and relaxed. I'm really not. Loud and annoying. (laughs) And that was my take home. Um, I want to talk about your podcast later. Talking about food is how we got into this. Yeah. And I want to take us to the food section of the podcast. Okay. We've got a jingle. Great. What a great jingle. Oh my god. It's a bit jazzy. It's fun. I like it. You know what you talk about Carmen? I like the food jingle. Thanks, man. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Bit of jazz fun. Albeit slightly sexy. It's a little bit sexy. So, Craig, you've been involved in a horrific crime and uh, the death penalty is um, put onto you. You've got one final meal. Yeah. Starter, main, and dessert. What are you having? <sighs> okay. Um, can I pick from anywhere? 100%. This can be home cooked. This can be restaurant. This could be literally whatever you want. Right. And I can merge anything. It's there's no, Basically, there's no rules. Is no what rules. Saying. Okay. Um, I think some heritage tomatoes. Okay. And some burrata yep. to start with some of the finest olive oil we can find. We have to go digging for this. Okay. And we have to go to Italy and find it. Maybe no one knows where it is, but we're going to have to find You've it. You've got to find it. The yeah. best olive oil out there. Like, On top of the burrata. Yeah, liquid gold. Yeah. Basically. And tomatoes that taste like tomatoes. Okay. Because over here in the United Kingdom, tomatoes are rubbish. Yeah, I'm, I'm neither here nor there in tomatoes, oh, so maybe well, I've that... just had bad tomatoes. Oh, well, no, you've just had tomatoes from here. They're yeah. just ridiculous. Well, that's when you go over to Spain or you go to Greece or you go anywhere. You go to France, you go to Italy. You could just eat a plate of tomatoes with some it, olive yeah. oil, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. It's incredible. So, big burrata. Yeah, well, not, not, not too big. Okay. I'd say cricket ball. Cricket ball burrata. Olive oil, tomatoes, surely some bruschetta or something. Uh, possibly. Okay. Yeah. This is me being a chubby man and you being a very skinny man. This is the difference. I will add bread to anything. Well, I don't eat a lot of bread. But when I do, I don't eat a lot of bread or potatoes or anything. But when I do go out to a restaurant, mm. I'm going to have a bit of bread. Okay. And it's a, and it's a dream. And I'm going to have a bit of... Maybe some churned butter. Oh, churn. Could I just... I want to put this out there. Yeah. I hope you agree on this. Um, Any restaurant that serves butter straight from the fridge, just stop doing that. Give me some fresh... It doesn't have to be It doesn't have to be churned, but just give me at least some room temperature butter that I can deal with. Yeah, I'd walk out. Awful, man. I'd flip the tables and walk out. <laughs> hate this place. <laughs> Weather spoon spot. Give me some churned butter, man. Um... <laughs> Right, so burrata, tomatoes, olive oil, the best olive oil we can find. Yeah. Maybe some bread with some churn butter. I mean, if, if that's possible. Totally. And, 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 a, and a, a wooden knife oh, yeah. to, to scoop into the churn butter. Have you ever been to Longclume? Well, I was going to talk to you about Longclume oh. next, even though it's not my second choice. Yeah, um, 2019, before lockdown, was my birthday and we went to Longclume 
I'm a big Simon Rogan fan. Mm. I've been wanting to go for a long time. And it was an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. An amazing meal. And it was in there. It was top. It was my top meal until this year. Wow. When I went to uh, a place called The Walled Garden. Right. Which sounds like a restaurant, and it's not. It's somebody's house. And that somebody's house in question is a chef from Manchester called Eddie Shepherd. And there are one, two, three, there are four tables in his house. And a friend of mine had bought it for my birthday prior to (laughs) post long gloom. Post long post long gloom. Pre pandemic. Yes. Yes. Um, So we'd waited. Uh, another year to go and when we finally went this year and we thought it was an all vegan menu but it's actually an all vegetarian menu Mm -hmm. and what he does with food is mystifying and it's I mean it's extraordinary uh, and it's beautiful and it's kind of cosmic (laughs) I mean it's 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 one of the best meals I've I've ever had the Walled Garden. The Walled Garden. Eddie Shepherd is an absolute genius. I mean, if you look at his stuff on Instagram, you go, oh, "It's just beautiful. Wow. It's so beautiful." Even though that that I'm just saying that out there now, that isn't. I can't have just everything that Eddie Shepherd cooks <laughs> for, for my main course. Bring in Eddie Shepherd, please. <laughs> now, this is a crude question, but I'm going to ask it because yeah. we've had Tom Barnes on this show. Mm. Um, who's very high up in the Simon Rogan universe. Yep. And what I loved about Long Clum is it's so competitively priced. It's not crazy money. Mm. Especially if, you, if you're if you not drinking there and you're just going for the lunch taster menu, which gives you a great experience. It's not crazy money. Walled Garden. Oh, is it crazy? No. Oh, super. And also, the great thing is, it's bring your own booze. Oh, God. And he has... And he has fridge there if you want white wine you put it in the fridge you want your red everything's sorted but it's all about the food and he Amazing. he's there you can see him cooking so if i'm pointing over there to like my settee that's not far is it no. so he's there we're here and he'll bring everything up there's no there's no servers <laughs> and i said to who i was with I went, well surely someone's going to be doing the washing up for him he did it all wow. he's doing it all and we were there from like 7.30 till 11.30. And he had a clean down. It was just beautiful. He'd done it all himself. And he comes out, he tells you everything about the food and tells you to enjoy. Any questions, talk to him, come and talk to him. It's a beautifully intimate experience. And it's up there with with one of the best meals I've ever had. Wow. Easily. The Wall Garden of Manchester. Absolutely. Eddie Shepherd. Is it hard to get in? Yeah, he's got a massive white. Oh, <laughs> I'm just gonna send him. I'm gonna chop that up. Send it him. Let me in, Eddie. Well, he's coming on my podcast, so I'll give you a shout out. Yes, me, you, and Eddie. What a joy. Okay, back main course. Yes, yeah. Yes. Look, I'm gonna keep it simple. Okay. Here, and uh, I want fresh Cornish mussels, yeah. cream, possibly a bit of cider in there, garlic, samphire. And a big bowl of salty, very thin chips. Wow. Nils Fritz. And a glass of ice cold Alberino. Wow. 
Great main. Simple, easy. Delicious. Muscles for me normally falls in the starter section, but... Big. On big plate. Yeah. Yeah. Dessert? Dessert. I... I'm not a big fan of desserts, if I'm honest. Okay. But I am a big fan of cherries. And it's when when we're recording this, it's kind of cherry season. There's a there's a very small cherry window at the, the moment. Yeah. Right. And when I was growing up, my mum used to make a cherry pie. That sounds Beautifully romantic, doesn't it? She'd mm. make a cherry pie with tin cherries, <laughs> with like with lovely sort of cherry syrup. Mm. Mm. But she did used to make her own pastry, oh, which, wow. I, which I never do. No. Um, and I would have a hot cherry pie with cold vanilla ice cream. Lovely. And I love that combination of hot and cold. Yeah. But it's not going to be that. Oh. Okay. So. That was where my love of cherries came from, from my mum. So a few weeks ago, we went out for lunch round the corner from where I live. And there's a lovely restaurant in Anko. It's called Erst. Mm -hmm. And they do lots of lovely small plates. So they'll do a plate of anchovies or they'll do some Carlingford oysters. It's nice little tiny things. And as I say, I very rarely have a dessert, but I'm a sucker for... A panna cotta. Oh, wow, okay. And they had a fig leaf panna cotta with cherries on top. And the cherries were marinated in some sort of vermouth, like a dry oh, vermouth. Wow. But it didn't taste alcoholic Not at boozy. all. Not boozy at all. And it was stunning. Wow. It was really stunning. It was really good. If I could have remembered the desserts I've had at Long Clume, it probably wouldn't have been those. But yeah. after like 10 or 11 courses, you can't remember, especially with wine. Uh, great meal. Not too heavy either, that, by the way. Oh, also, what you're drinking throughout. Is there a... I'm going to go with the... the I'm going to go with the cold Albarino yeah. throughout. Lovely. Because it just seems to fit. Perfect. Now, favourite restaurant in the world, which I feel like we might have tackled with Wall Garden... Is there anything else? Is there anything else you would recommend? Here's the thing. I love eating out. Yes. Um, I love chefs. I'm, I, someone, I spoke to me the other day and they were talking about being starstruck. And I said, I don't really, I don't really get starstruck. Not because I'm a dick. It's <laughs> like, well, I know loads of actors and I don't really get starstruck and I know I know loads of musicians and I don't really get so but I'm I used to live in Gloucestershire right and there was one time I went to quite a remote pub and I walked in there and there was members of Blur in there and Keith Allen was in there it was like the Groucho Club wow but I went outside for I was smoking at the time I went outside for a cigarette and Fergus Henderson was outside who was like the sort of head chef yeah. of one of my favourite restaurants in London, which is St. John, but more importantly, St. John Bread and Wine, because that was the first of his that I went to. Right. And we went outside and he asked me for a light. And I was immediately <laughs> starstruck <laughs> by him. But um, look, St. John Bread and Wine in London holds very, it's such lovely memories to me. Uh, and I love what they do there. And 
their Eccles cakes and a Lancashire cheese and a glass of sherry yeah. is a very, very strong contender for last dessert. Wow. I didn't go for it, but it is a strong contender. I know nothing about this restaurant. You know, no, hold, hold fire. That's crazy. Right. It's so rare on this show that we get not one, but two restaurants that I've never heard of. Okay. So these are two cookbooks that you need in your life. Okay. Right, these are nose to tail eating by yeah. Fergus Henderson. You can, they're very sticky. Yeah, that's fine. I try well, to used. clean them as much as I possible, but I use them a lot. Wow. Now, these books are, I would say, Bibles. Beautiful wow. recipes and also ethically sound. Pot roast, half pig's head. Yeah. Is the first one. Because nothing is wasted. They will cook everything, whether it's up, you know, I mean, there's some tripey things in there, yeah. which can be quite full on, but Fantastic. yeah. There you go, see? So that's the spot. That's a great spot. Oh, uh, the food's here. The food's here. Hold on. Hello. Yeah, of course, I've come outside now. 
food. But oh, these are all like very special occasion. I don't go there a lot. Hello. I have to reject the order, which I have no. Okay. Well, if you can come to me, I can give you a tip in cash. Is that okay? If you will not give me, then. <laughs> what? What is the guarantee? I mean, I really want my pizza, I guess is the guarantee. Okay. I really want the pizza. You really want the tip. Let's bring those things together. Okay, okay, okay. I'm coming. Okay, you've got the new address, right? Nobody, this is my promise. I will give you your food. Uh, uh, send, me your, send me your address on my... Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll text you the address now. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. This is insane. <laughs> this is... I've had a lot of... In, I. This feels like 5am in Ibiza. Is this what this feels like? <laughs> I don't know what this has become, actually. Should we, should we, should we do another spin of the wheel? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm going to go out. I'm going to bring your neighbour in. We're going to have a lovely time. Oh, my Christ. I don't know if I've got any cash. <laughs> so we are now probably going to witness a live fight between me and, U- and Uber Eats delivery man. All I'm saying is he's going to kill you. He's going to kill gonna me. Kill. He's, he's been fucked over before. He told you that. That's what he was saying, What wasn't is it? my guarantee? Someone's done me before. <laughs> You've been explicit yeah. in, you know, I want oh. my pizza. And the thing is... That's offensive, a pound. No a one, pound's offensive. No one has cash anymore, Tom. Oh, Christ. Um, Do you want me to see if I've got any cash, Tom? No, I think I've got some in my car. Okay. I'm going to check my car. Okay, Tom is walking out now of my house. He's going to go and see if he can get some cash. Um, What are we saying? We're talking about food, aren't we? Look, Anthony Bourdain passed away. There is a new documentary coming out called Roadrunner and it's all about I don't know if it's necessarily about his life but certainly it's about his journey in food Uh, I was hoping that it was going to be distributed uh, and released at the cinemas and it certainly is in the US and it's not in the UK from what I've found but August 6th it's going to be available to stream on various platforms but I wish I could have seen it at the cinema. But I think it's going to be something I'm going to be watching in my living room. I've got six pounds in change. I think that's a nice tip. I think that's more than enough. Yeah. Okay, guys. It's what it's like to do an on-the-streets deal. We're going to find out. <laughs> I mean, that sounds so wrong. It does sound so wrong, but that's what it feels like. This is getting out of hand. Okay, cool. Um, You're from Blackpool. I am. I want to go there for a second. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'm from <laughs> Preston, so... Never the twain shall meet, No, Tom. you're right. And it's... it's. How do you feel about being an actor from Blackpool? Because being from the Northwest, yeah. getting into entertainment, it's not that common. I've spoken to a lot of people from London now. We've had a lot of people from London on the podcast mm. who are like... All my friends wanted to be actors or DJs or presenters. I know no one who I grew up with who wanted to do what I do or be an actor. Well, no, I, I, well, I didn't really. Apart from the fact that there used to be a, a great college that I found out later on in my teens when I was at school, and it's called Blackpool Fire College. Yeah, and the campus, which is in St Anne's, is no longer there now. It's a beautiful building. And I realised that David Thewlis went there and John Sim went there. And I was watching David and John on my telly. Right. And I thought, well, if they went there, they went through there prior to going to London. Then I had to follow 
the route that they did, yeah. then maybe hopefully that would be a viable option as a career for me. So if they're doing it, well, then can I not? Even though I'm, you know, I'm David's, I'm third as high, I'm six foot four and a half, yeah. you know, I'm slim, I'm, <laughs> I'm slightly odd looking, I could do that. There's no reason why that wouldn't work. I'm not as good looking as John Sim, but hey, <laughs> who, you know. Who is? Uh, who is? Um, so that's, that's the route that I took. But it was, it, it was and is a very precarious tightrope of a, a career. And I speak to all sorts of actors, younger actors and students, and, you know, I'm doing talks in, in Manchester with students. And I'm just trying to be as realistic as possible yeah. for them because I don't think, you know, I graduated in, when did I graduate? 97. Right. Uh, and I feel the ones who came into our drama school who weren't staff who were um guest directors and guest lecturers mm -hmm. were far more realistic um with the nature and possibility of a career in the business than than the the staff ever were right and they were the ones that put fire in our belly and also made us scared who were basically like this is a long, hard slog where you may not make money forever. But it's not even about making money. It's about having a career. You may not get a job, full stop. And I, I know so many people that have fallen by the wayside. And I know people who have fallen by the wayside who aren't very good. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, I know people that have fallen by the wayside who are fucking brilliant and who should be working. Right. And that's the injustice. But there's, I just, you just don't know what to do about that. Well, how did you do it? How did you sustain up until now? How have you done it? Have you, have you always had work or have you had periods of not work? I've had periods of not work. Everybody's had periods of not work. Anybody, anybody that's, I was reading um, an interview in the Times three weeks ago with Mads Mickelson, who's one of my favourite actors. And, he is brutally honest and so fucking cool and good looking. Yeah. <laughs> and he was saying, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I wasn't working. I couldn't get, I'd done Hannibal. I'd done all this. He's in one of my favorite films called The Hunt. If people haven't seen The Hunt with right. Thomas Vinterberg, directed by, you should watch that. Um, and he said in this interview, yeah, I mean, regardless of the pandemic, I wasn't working. I'd like, f oh, hello. You oh, may gosh. have pizza. We're going live. I might be about to get stabbed, Let's go. everybody. Hello. Hello, mate. Uh, I'm nearby. Come on, say. Okay, here Guys, we go. Thank I'll be outside in a second. If I don't return, yeah. Um, tell my girlfriend I love her. You can have my car. Sure. Just continue with the podcast. Take okay. the podcast. We'll do. Can I, have, can I have the wheel? Death to the wheel. Okay, thanks. Will six quid be enough? I gonna, think this is the most dramatic episode let's ever just spin the, Let's spin the wheel to see if Tom is going to come back. Alive or dead? Shit. Hello. That was fun, wasn't it? Tom just said to the pizza driver, that was fun, wasn't it? Is he happy with this? No, he's happy. I think he's happy. Does he want to come in and say hello? Say hello on the podcast. Hello. Do you want to come in? No, no, no. I no. Know my English is not. His English is 
Congratulations. Okay. We've done the six pounds. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Pleasure, man. Thank you. For You're picking this up, surely. Thank you, Pradeep Singh. Thank you, man. Oh, God, he was so lovely. Nice guy. Oh, lovely guy. You know what, right? You know what? This is a wider point to learn from this. Yes, go on. When you only talk to people on the phone and the internet, yeah. you can't get nuance across. You can't have a proper conversation. No. And then you meet your Padib Singhs of the world, and they're just boys. <laughs> they're just guys out there hustling. What a gentle soul. Right. Right. This, I've never done a podcast episode like this. That feels so sporadic and so fun. And... So, like, I'm doing a deal in Ibiza at 5 a.m. <laughs> okay, um, there's your pepperoni. Get it on. There she is. Thank you. And here's my, and it's it's like a spicy. Should we spicy just thing. should we compare l- looks of pizza? Okay, it looks fine. Looks fine. Yours looks great though. Yeah. Yours looks really good. Don't don't mess with the classic. Right. <sighs> oh god, he was so lovely. He was so chill about the six pounds. He looked cool as fuck as well, I must admit. So cool. It's fucking great. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to try and get some structure back. Okay, bring it back. Blackpool, go to college. Yeah. How does the career look post-college to starting working as a full-time jobbing actor? Well, I moved to London when I was 17 to go to drama school. Yeah. Having done two years at Blackpool College. And... Had a quite a roller coaster of a time at drama school because you know I was just turning 18, so I don't know who I am, I don't know what's going on, you know. I was learning who I am as a person, you know. You're getting thrown everything at you over three years, and you got to remember now you're. you're not at a college where people are there for a DOS or you're at drama, drama class. At school, where people are going, oh, I'm just going to go down there because the girls are there, or I'm going to yeah. do this, or it's going to be easy. These are people who want to train because they want to do this for a living. So everybody's like-minded. Yeah. It's like crazy, and it's full on. And I go to the end of my third year, and you get an assessment over the third year, right. at the end of the third year. And they sort of give you their assessment of what they think is going to happen after you graduate. Jesus, that's intense. Yeah. And they said to me, well, you know, you're tall and you're slim and you're a character actor, you're a characterful face. Mm-hmm. We we don't feel you're probably going to hit your stride or work until you're about 40. Wow. And I was graduating at 21. <laughs> and I went, oh, all, all right, thank you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. What on earth do you do with that? Cry. But I was really lucky because I went off and got my first job like a week after graduating. So, uh, yeah, I do feel very lucky. And acting's a strange one. Someone that isn't an actor. I did a year in drama school. Oh, yeah? Gonna put that out there. Little players in Preston. How'd it go? My dad described me. This is, do you know when you have those stories and it's like, why are you the person you are today? And you can almost attribute it to moments in your life. Uh-huh. I was in um, Bugsy Below. I got a bit part. One of the extras. Mum and dad came and saw. Got back in the car. Guys, how was it? I was on stage. How was it? My dad's. he went, son, you reminded me of a piece of 3B2 wood and drove off. And drove off? <laughs> With me in the car. Oh, right. The okay. Car. Didn't leave you there. <laughs> Turned round. 
Three B two Wood and drove off. Mr. Green, we need tough words. I prior to starting um, the podcast, sort of my podcast, four or five years ago, and most actors hate this interview being interviewed because part of parcel of the job, certainly with television and film, and sometimes with theatre. It doesn't end until you do the press. So you do your interviews, things like that. And a lot of actors, certainly younger actors, find it very uncomfortable being themselves and talking about the job. And it's just like, it's it's just slightly icky. And I used to find it very much so up until maybe five years ago, I suppose. And then you just sort of get into your stride and it's fine. It's just part and parcel of the job and that's cool. And there was a time when I... And I very rarely do panel shows or anything like that. And I got offered, uh, "Would I lie to you?" And I love, okay. I love "Would I Lie to You." Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. But I was kind of terrified because I've never done anything like that before. And I did it, and I was with lovely people. I was with Sarah Pascoe, who I, I knew a bit, and Claudia Winkleman and David Mitchell. Lovely. And it was really nice. It was really lovely. But I was still kind of terrified because it's just not my... Um, it's not my sort of cup of tea. Yeah. I'm just not there. But I, I wanted to try and fit in as much as possible. And I tried my best. And I spoke to my dad the next day. And he said, uh, oh, I saw you on uh, Water Light to you. I said... Uh, it you look very nervous. Oh, I went, oh, no. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Nothing I can do now, is there? Oh, Can't change no. that, can I? Thanks for that support, Dad. Oh, no. Look very nervous. But saying that... <laughs> so good. <laughs> I know. So bang on. I know, but the thing, is, the thing is, my parents are so supportive of what mm. I do. And he was, he was just being honest. Mm. He was just being honest. He just went... I was very nervous. And I the was. thing is, the thing is, I what I probably was. Yeah. I, mean, I definitely was. Yeah. <laughs> My mum, every time I do a first radio show, will call me afterwards and go, you were talking fast, you were scared, weren't you? I was terrified, it was live. Oh, God. But it's helpful, and they're, they're being brutally honest. Very funny. Can we talk about um, Bandersnatch? No. I, I'm going to push you on it. All right. <laughs> what a project to be part of. Working yeah. with Charlie Brooker, mm. working with a spin-off of a very big series, Black Mirror, at its absolute peak. Yeah. Doing a show that I don't think has ever been matched since then in terms of what it did with technology, what it tried to do. It was this moment at Christmas five years ago. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Everyone was like, this is groundbreaking. And then nothing happened since. Mm. It was, you must be very happy to be part of something like that. Oh, I mean... Yeah, thrilled. I mean, been a massive fan of Charlie for years, you know, uh, and Black Mirror. But to get that was a complete head fuck, if I'm honest, because it was nuts. I was, I got a call. I was recording podcasts actually yeah. in Soho, and I got a call, and there was there was sort of rumours going around that Charlie wanted to see me. And then all of a sudden, it just happened in the space of a few hours going, can you get to Ealing now? They're sending you this script. Wow. But you've got to sign loads of... You've got to sign these NDAs. 
before you go over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Charlie wasn't there, but Annabelle was there. Who's... And, and Annabelle is Charlie's partner and sort of co-producer. Right. Um, and, you know, she's as much Black Mirror as, as Charlie is. And David Slade, who was the director. But the script that they sent was the full script of Bandersnatch. Now, for anybody that hasn't seen Bandersnatch, there are various options yeah about how you leave a scene and how you want to explore a scene so instead of your normal this is not good for a podcast is it i can describe it okay describe that instead of inch. that one that, inch then the bandersnatch script was five inches at least yeah. wow that's a lot of work yeah didn't finish it couldn't read it it was so hard but what also they sent out was um an electronic script which was much much easier to navigate wow um which we then used when we were filming uh but then i went to go and meet annabelle and and david and we had a little chat and yeah we had a few more weeks of prep and we were on and, and they said was, you're our guy it was uh it was like nothing I'd ever filmed before, but no one had ever filmed like that before. Because what Charlie and Annabelle were creating was bonkers. Completely and I'm different. sure even Charlie would say himself, and I think he has, not to put words into his mouth, he wouldn't do it again. Right. He's done it. Yeah. But to put things into context, context to put things in to put things into context, <laughs> um, Andrew Scott was filming his episode. Of Black Mirror, and he started in the latter part of Bandersnatch, and he finished, and we were still filming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that just goes to show it takes a few weeks to film an episode of Black Mirror, and we were six or seven weeks. Wow, so cool to be part of something like that. Oh, incredible! Yeah. So, where do we find you now? Where's post Line of Duty, post Bandersnatch, post? Amazing podcast. Craig Parkinson, 2021, July. Yeah. What's the plan? Where are we at? The, is the work rolling in? Have you got exciting projects? What's next? What's what's there to shout about? <sighs> Quite a lot. Yes. Uh, you'll have to beep a load of this. Okay. Um, I mean... Yes! <laughs> You've definitely got to beat that. I you beat can't put that up. Okay, so uh, I will try and describe... I won't describe the show, but it's, no. it's it's in the biggest British show probably ever. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. But I'm really thrilled, and it's it was a joy. You have to beat that out as well. Yeah, of course I will. <laughs> uh, no, no. You're not that. No. Fine. But uh, it was a really... Uh, yeah, it was lovely to be a part of. Very exciting, full of lovely, lovely people. Amazing. Um, and well, I'm back doing Grace, which is a new detective drama in yep. Brighton with the aforementioned um, Elephant Man, John Sim. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I can't wait to get back in that. Uh, I'm doing a new Channel Four comedy in Leeds, yep. which I can't talk about. And I'm doing a little bit in a romantic comedy in Manchester. Yeah, I can't think. Yeah, it's it, look, it's it, I'm I feel touchwood very considering the times we're in. Really yeah. lucky to be working with amazing people and and brilliant scripts. Honestly, yeah. well, 
this was an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to see you as the new host of Top Gear. That is <laughs> will be a joy. Um, Craig, this is everything and more that I wanted this episode to be. Um, it's an honour and privilege to be at your dining room table. Oh, bless you, man. Um, I've loved a lot of your work. I got introduced to you through Line of Duty, but it didn't end there. Thank you for accompanying me in what's been the most hectic episode we've ever had. <laughs> uh, I nearly got stabbed by a man, and then we found out we were friends. Um, tonight, the Dangerous Dinner Wheel picked uh, pizza for you, Craig. How was it? It was delicious. Um, because we've been so positive about it, we'll keep the name in. It's Crazy Pedro's in Manchester. Craig, thank you so much. Tom, thank you for having me, man. Cold food, but hot guests. It's the Dangerous Dinners Podcast. Oh, well, well, what a joy. What a hectic episode that was. feel like we learned a lot on the show this week. Lesson one, delivery drivers are nice. They're really, really nice. And if they've been screwed over in the past, they are apprehensive. But I get it. Once bitten, twice shy, I think as the old saying goes. But when you deliver to old me, you'll get a six quid tip. So you're all good. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please scroll down, give it a rating, give it a review. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're in your feeds on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. All that good stuff. Have an amazing week. I will see you same time next time for another episode of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.